today we're going to be in Jonah chapter 1. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord... But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, because I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come down upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You can be seated. Good morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for thank you for the opportunity to be able to gather together with the saints and worship you and hear from your word. Lord, you know my deep desire to be able to accurately but with authority and conviction communicate your word to teach it. Lord, by the power of the Spirit. And so I pray that you would help me this morning. God, would you make me completely dependent upon your Spirit? Would you ready my heart for your word as well as my friends here? Would you ready all of our hearts to hear from you? God, we love you. And we pray that as we look at a small little story of a prophet who ran from you, over 10,000 years ago. Lord, would you use it to draw us to yourself 3,000 years ago. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, it was my first day of class. Uh, It was missions class. And... It was my first semester in seminary, 
and I didn't really feel well that morning. I'd gone to class that morning, and I had a little break, and I had class later on, but I didn't feel well. I went home, and my temperature was like 101 or 102 degrees, and uh, it would be the first day that I would actually miss of seminary, and actually first of only two days in three years that I would miss of seminary. I didn't miss very much class, um, but I didn't feel well, and so I got some medicine. Um, I lay down on the couch, and I turned on the TV, and it was approximately 9.15 in the morning. And as I turned on the TV, there was panic. Um, I didn't really understand what was going on. I'm asking, what the world is, what is this? Um, and I soon realized that we, America, were under attack. It was 9-11, and today is the 10th anniversary of that day. And not too long into it, I'm sitting there, Christy was a school teacher at the time, I'm there by myself, and I find myself weeping in my living room, just almost uncontrollably, weeping for the families and the people who had died that day. I, I didn't even know them. I didn't even know them, and I was weeping. And so as we're looking at this story, how much more, how much more should we find ourselves weeping and caring about people's lives whom we do know when their eternal destinies are at stake? Their eternal destinies around us, they will perish eternally if they don't know Christ. Kind of the main idea I want you to get out of the text this morning as we look at Jonah chapter 1 is that all of us are going to face a time in our lives where we can either choose to obey or disobey the will of God in our lives, which specifically is to make disciples. It's not some generic, God's got a plan for your life, will you follow it? It's the specific will of God given to us in Matthew chapter 28 where we've been told to go and make disciples. Every single one of us, every day, has a decision to make whether we're going to willingly choose to obey or disobey that. And we're going to do it by looking through the lens of a book called Jonah. Now, Jonah um, is written by Jonah. There's debate on that, but there's really not really much. I mean, honestly, no one could recount the the specifics of this story unless it was Jonah. And even in the end... where we see Jonah kind of sitting at, because he's crying and, and basically having a little pout session because he lost his, his little tree. Um, no one's going to be able to write all these details down without it being Jonah. Jonah is very short. It's about 48 verses. And the narrative, the story, um, is very succinct. I mean, no fluff, really. He's not Give us a ton of detail. He's just saying, this is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. Um, we're going to even see that in verse 17. I mean, when Chelsea read it, it's just amazing. Um, and God appointed a, a, a great fish and he just swallowed him up. You know? um, yet, this, this little tiny book is incredibly, incredibly precious. It's just gold. And as we, as we look at it, um, we're going to see a few things. Number one, that this book is not about a fish. At all. It's not even about Jonah. This book is about God, specifically the sovereignty of God in all things and his infinite goodness, his graciousness 
towards people, specifically even rebels like you and me. And as we're going through this short four weeks, um, one of the things I think we're all going to realize and we must say is that I am, and I have to say this, I am Jonah. I am him. And I'm hoping that you'll see it. Um, A couple quotes for you from Sinclair Ferguson just to to get us going here. Um, One is that God is sovereign in all evangelism. Talking about Jonah being um, about God. He says this, God is sovereign in all evangelism. And, because we know that God's sovereign. Why do people get saved at a certain amount of times? He says, God is sovereign in all evangelism. But don't miss this little second heart. This is awesome because we, he is a missionary God. And he is evangelistic, God is, in the exercise of his sovereignty. He is sovereign over all things. But as he's sovereign in all things, he's very evangelistic. God desires for, those, for people to be saved. The next one is this, and he just says this, Sinclair Ferguson, um, talking specifically about Jonah and, and really a reflection to ourselves. This book is a picture of a very weak and inadequate vessel whom God used for his glory. And that is a picture of you. You are and I am a very weak and inadequate vessel whom God will use for his glory. And so I'm going to kind of ask this question throughout, the, throughout our time today. Are you going to acknowledge that? And are you going to say, I want to be used? I do want to be used. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give up. Now, some say, I just want to get these first couple things out of the way. All right. Some say that, that um, Jonah, the man, is not a historical person. That's the first kind of thing that's thrown out. This isn't real. I heard this in, in uh, my Bible class in college. Uh, the, our teacher tried to make a case that Jonah wasn't a real guy, never really lived. Um, two things for that. I'm just going to kind of cover these things decently fast because hopefully all of you believe Jonah isn't real, but some of you might not. Some of you might have some questions. So let's just, let's just cover two little things. Number one, Second Kings, it says this. Um, the Old Testament mentions Jonah in Second Kings in 1425. It's talking about when it says he, it's Jeroboam. It says he restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by. Here it is. The servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet or Amati or whichever one is probably Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Ephor. Um, Gath Ephor, by the way, is uh, the region of Galilee, which is very, very close to um, which we know that Jesus was from the region of Galilee. So Gath Ephor, very, very close to Nazareth. We are going to actually get to that very soon as we talk about Jesus. Um, so that's the first thing. If, if the Old Testament is willing to mention Jonah as a historical person, I think that we can more than likely say, yeah, Jonah was a historical person. But if that's not enough, I think this pretty much just solves the whole problem for us. Jesus himself mentions Jonah as a historical person. And, you know, if Jesus mentions you, then you're probably real. You know, I mean, we, we, have, we have the parables and things like that. But Jesus doesn't mention Jonah as a little parable like the prodigal son. I mean, Jesus mentions him very specifically in Matthew 12. And he says this, uh, Matthew 12, it should be on the screen. Matthew 12, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answer him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And Jesus, but he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except... This is so awesome. Except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So he holds out Jonah as a historical person and then mentions this thing called the sign. And I'm going to talk about this in a second. But this is, this is pretty key. This is pretty amazing. Um, for just as, and here's the, here's the sign, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. Um, and in the Greek, that's just 
sea creature, whale, great fish. So, you know, I don't know what it was. Honestly, I don't know. We'll get to that in a second. But anyway, um, just as Jonah was in the, in the belly of the great fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The reason why Jonah is clearly a historical person is that Jesus takes the sign of Jonah and relates it to himself. Jonah was in the fish for three days and he points it to the resurrection and he uses that as the sign. That's the only sign you get. It's the sign of Jonah. And that's me. And then he says, that's the resurrection, which we know the resurrection is everything when it comes to Christianity. So and then he says, the men of Nineveh um, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Now, we're going to talk about who the men of Nineveh are very soon, that they weren't necessarily, you know, the most God fearing nation. They were wicked pagans. And he said that they will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching. Don't miss that. Even Jesus said, uh, Jonah preached. We're going to see this lackluster sermon that that's recorded in Jonah three. I mean, it's just a brutal half-hearted sermon if I've ever seen one. But Jesus, in his graciousness, even calls it preaching. And he says, they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is he, which we will touch on that. Something greater than Jonah. As we said, Jonah is not about Jonah. It's about Jesus and everything. We need to look through all the stories in the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. All right. So let's just suggest uh, that's one thing. Jonah was a historical person. Let's address the other elephant in the room or whale, if you will, in the room. And that's the whale. Um, So number one, is that possible? Like, can a man honestly be swallowed by a great fish and live in the fish for three days. I'm not going to go into the, like that's actually happened and all that kind of stuff before. We'll, we'll get into that another week. But let's just talk about two things. Number one, um, Jesus said it happened in Matthew 12. As a matter of fact, he doesn't only say it happens, but he calls it the sign of Jonah and points to it as something that will point to his own resurrection. So clearly Jesus says it happens. That's the first thing. And here's, the, here's one of the most obvious things. Listen, let me read. A much harder to believe text than that. A much harder to believe text than that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, God created something out of nothing, right? If, if you can believe that, if you can believe that God created the heavens and the earth, something out of nothing, then certainly we can say, well, that guy, that God must be capable of allowing someone to live in a whale fish, whatever you want to say for three days. He's God. He can, he can do that. All right. So if we can believe Genesis one, one, then certainly we can believe this story. No problem. All right. So as we're going into, we're just going to be in chapter one this time. And I've got three notes that I want you to see three notes about being called to mission. Now we've, one of the main things about Jonah is Jonah's given a mission and he's being called out to this mission. We're going to see what will he obey? Will he not obey? And hopefully as we see these three things in this first chapter about mission, you'll be able to take these things and relate themselves to your person, to yourself personally and um, and learn from Jonah. All right. So the first thing is this. The first thing and we're going to see this in, in verses one and two. And for us, our Um, verse will be Matthew 28. But this is the first thing. It says, just as God revealed to Jonah, he was called to mission, which he does that in verses one and two. God has made it plain to you that you are called to mission. And he does that in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. 
Um, Let me read that in just a second, but let's read Jonah. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of God came to him. What will you do when the word comes to you? And it has specifically in Matthew 28. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it. This, this calling out against it is preach repentance to them. Now, Jonah um, obeys the first part of the command. He arises and he does not obey the second part of the command. He says, arise and go to Nineveh. And then he calls it that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. So we can already see there in, in verse two that um, this identification of evil has has been given to or designated to the people of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And just a little bit of things that you might want to know. Nineveh, um, this this capital city of the Assyrians, kind of represented for Israel their enemies. They were a pagan people in the 8th century. Um, They were evil and had a history of... um, kind of taking over, and they had historically taken over some of the land of Israel. And whenever they would go into these lands where Israel were, this is why Jonah absolutely hated the Assyrians. And when he said go to Nineveh, Jonah ran the other way. He told him to go to Nineveh, which is more than likely modern-day Iraq. Um, These people, these Assyrians, who were wicked pagans, had come in historically before Whenever they would take over the land of Israel, they would kill their, their, their men. They would probably take their women and rape them and kill them. They would take their children and keep them of, of their own. And it's just this kind of ongoing hatred that had built in the life of the Israelites for the Assyrians. And God said, Jonah, I want you to go to not just a, a people that you don't know, but I want you to go to people that absolutely hate you, that have historically mistreated you. And I want you to go to them and I want you to preach repentance. I want you to call out against them. And Jonah, who was a prophet, had seen the pattern of what happens whenever he calls out. He's a prophet. He goes and he tells people to repent. And usually they do. And he sees the work of the Lord. Whenever he preaches repentance, God, whenever they turn, God grants them repentance. And we see this over in chapter 4, whenever they do repent. Oh, I knew you were going to grant repentance. And so he knows that God's going to grant repentance. And so what does he want to do? He doesn't want to see the Ninevites repent. Because he absolutely hates them for what they've done. He hates them. And so instead, because of his extreme patriotism for Israel, he runs the other way further with his own people. Let's say Jonah does go and preach repentance. Then he's seen as this traitor prophet among his own people. Oh, you're the guy that goes to the enemy and preaches repentance to them. Oh, we see who you are. And so Jonah has all these things Um, The traitor prophet doesn't seem like a very enviable task at all. And so he runs the other way and he's told to call out against them. This is not a very comfortable thing to go and and call out people to repentance, to preach the gospel, basically tell them to come to repentance, that God is a, a merciful God. He doesn't want to do that. God will call us to very difficult things like this. But Jonah instead runs the other way. Um, and we're going to see where it was. So, um, he does not obey. So here's the deal. Matt, 
that was that was the um, that was the call that he gave to them. Now, this is the call that he gives to us. And we've read this over the past couple of weeks. But let's just read it again. And maybe in your own way, identify in your own heart if your heart has run to Tarshish instead of to Nineveh. This is what he says. And Jesus came out and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he's telling you, if you're a child of God, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations as you're going Make disciples. That's what he's called you. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. But he has told you, just like he's given Jonah a mission, he has given every single one of us a mission. Go as you're going through your life, make disciples. And in your heart, you might not necessarily be literally running away from the, the ministry that God's. If God's told you to go to China, you might not necessarily run the other way. But God might be calling you to walk across the hallway, walk across the classroom, walk across your house to your own family. And in your heart of hearts, Nineveh's over there and you are running the other way to Tarshish. God has given every single one of us a mission specifically and are you running the other way? So that's the first thing. God has revealed to Jonah. He was called to a mission. And God has made it plain to us that you have also been called to mission. And so if you are not finding yourself on an ongoing basis living out this mission, then you are just Jonah running to Tarshish. And it might not be as, it might not be as, um, just as obvious as this. It might not be as defiant as this. Like, I am not. But it could just be laziness, just complete apathetic where you're not doing it. And in a sense, you're still doing it. You're still running away from his, his mission. All right. So the next little set from about verses 3 to around 16, we're going to see something sep- uh, separate when we talk about this mission. And this is whether you are going to, God's given you a mission. Now here's the second deal. You are either going to obey it or you're going to disobey it. That's the second thing. Here's the second one. When you realize God has called you to mission, which now every one of you has to know. I've already told you, if you didn't know before you walked in, now you know. So here's your chance to willingly choose to obey or disobey. You're completely not on the hook now. You are not off the hook. And it says this. When you realize that God has called you to mission, as with Jonah, you can either choose to obey or disobey his will. That's your decision. And let's look at what happens as it plays out in the story of Jonah. And as we're looking at verses 3 through 16, I want to uh, kind of talk talk about some of the applications as we look at it. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Now, up until this point, Jonah had a pretty good history of obeying and doing the will of God. But in this particular time, God, like he is knows our hearts and wants to reach in down on one of the points where he knows Jonah doesn't want to submit and hits one of those parts in his heart where it's going to hurt. There's a people you hate and he's going to do the same for you in your life. He knows exactly where you don't want to submit over your heart and he's going to reach down and he's going to touch it. And this is what he does for him. And he said, I want you to go to Nineveh. So he arose and went to Tarshish and God knows exactly where just because we've had a history of obeying where we might not want to. And he's going to ask us to do some of those things. Um, so he went and Jonah arose and went to go the other way. And by doing this, he was showing that his previous obedience was just fine with him, but not his present obedience. 
Are you living in that right now where your previous obedience is just fine with you, but present obedience isn't necessarily something you're living into? Are you living with only the memories of your obedience in your Christian walk now? Or even more, are you substituting your past spiritual record of where you maybe were submitting to the to the things of the Lord now for your present responsibility to the submission of God's will? You have a present responsibility as well. You might have this awesome history of doing things for Christ, but he's also currently wanting you to keep walking with him. So Jonah had a good history up until now, but now he says he's going to flee and go to Tarshish. And this is a pretty funny little little phrase here, if if you notice. From the presence of the Lord. From the presence of the Lord. As if that is possible at all. Um... An African-American spiritual song of the 1800s kind of sums up Jonah's uh, personality this way. It says, Jonah was a fool and stubborn as a mule. Um, And that's just pretty accurate when we're talking about someone who thinks that they can flee from the presence of the Lord. Um, Now, since we're going to see it here from the presence of the Lord, we're also going to see it at the end of this verse, away from the presence of the Lord. And we're also going to see it at the end of verse 10, fleeing from the presence of the Lord. There is some tangible meaning to that. And what is it that we're talking about when we say fleeing from the presence of the Lord? Now, surely we know that we can't actually get away from the presence of the Lord. But what we really mean here is that we are, he is trying to literally get away from the felt presence of the Lord. This is kind of the way some of the old historic Christians used to call it. Away from the felt presence of the Lord. Um, this is literally, um, when it says from the presence of the Lord, this is literally um, from the face of the Lord. He ran from the face of the Lord. And so what he's in essence doing is he's fleeing from prayer. He's fleeing from evangelism. He's fleeing from what he's called to do as God's child. From that felt presence. And you know just as well as I do that whenever you flee from God in prayer, whenever you flee from God and meeting with him in his word, whenever you flee from God in obedience to evangelism, or whenever you flee from God and dive into sin, that you are fleeing from the presence of the Lord, the felt presence. Um, and, and we all know that's a subjective thing in our life, but we all know exactly what we're talking about. And perhaps like me, you've had some of those moments. And then it says this. He fleed from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare. He paid the fare. He literally, with his own money, was willing to put up his own money to disobey the will of the Lord. That's pretty active, active disobedience. That's active, wicked rebellion. I'm going to put up my own money to walk away from God right now. And then it says this, he went to Tarshish. Now, in Jonah's mind and in this, in this land, in this known world, this was as far away as possible that he could get. More than likely, this is Spain. So this is basically going from Iraq all the way across the Mediterranean, as far as he f- possibly thought he could get to what is modern-day Spain. Now, I, don't, I tried to Google map the, uh, the, the mileage from Iraq to Spain, and it told me you can't really travel it. So I don't know the exact mileage, but... I think it's pretty far. I mean, and in the known world, you know, in 8th century B.C., this is Jonah just showing us. I am going to run the complete opposite direction. God, God says, Jonah, I want you to go east to Nineveh. Okay, running west to Spain, going as far as I can to Tarshish. So this is him literally 
actively trying to go the complete other way, away from the presence of the Lord. And so we see if he's running away from the presence of the Lord, obedience is in Nineveh and he is running away from obedience. He's running away from the felt presence. And then it says, but the Lord, this is amazing. And you know, in the Old Testament, if you don't know, anytime you see the Lord in all caps, that's the, the name of God, Yahweh. If you see it just with the capital L and the rest under lower caps, that's just the, the word Lord Adonai. They both signify the Lord. But here, Jonah is using the word Yahweh. And we're even going to see that in verse 14, when the sailors are calling on the, the name of God, Yahweh, which is not to be spoken um, in those times whenever they would read in public scriptures. And it says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Again, verse four, just highlighting the absolute sovereignty of God in all things. Jonah wants to run. God's, it doesn't cost God anything to blow some wind around. And he's going, to, he's going to hurl some wind onto Jonah. And it says, And the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the sh- ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners, these are the people that were in them, cried out to their God, which is naturally a response for all of us. Whenever we feel our life in danger, we might not know who God is, but whoever we think our God is, we call out. And you see this probably in the lives of unbelievers whenever their life just goes straight down the toilet. Oh, please, God, help me. I don't know who you are or where you are, but somebody help me out. This is just the natural inclination of us. And then it says this, um, but Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. I mean, just utter, utter apathy towards the will of God. He's asleep. There's a huge squall out going on and he's just completely sleeping. I just wanted to use the word squall today. Um, and so, and so the captain came and said to him, this is a funny little phrase. What do you mean you sleeper? Um, I don't really know what that means. Like it's just, I tried to look it up. It's just really funny. My, my daughter, whenever she would read it, just thought it was hilarious. What do you mean you sleeper? And he means he's going to sleep. Um, and then he says this and notice the echo of the call of God in verse two. Uh, here. This is pretty amazing language. God tells him to arise and go. And even the sailor comes and Jonah can't, uh, can't get away from the echoes of God's mission right here. He says this, what do you mean? You sleeper arise, call out just like what it said in verse two, arise, go to men of that great city and call out the echoes of God's mission being spoken to him. And, and the command, even through a pagan sailor arise, call out to your God, Perhaps in the in the sailor is maybe even having greater faith than than Jonah here. The, the God will give us a thought that we might not perish. And then verse seven says this: It's the lots. They're trying to figure out we're in trouble. What the world's going on? And Jonah, in this very succinct little narrative, sums up the whole little deal in verse seven. It says, "And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may." No, on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. And you can just imagine Jonah. Oh, man, please don't let these lots fall on me. Please, they're all going to know. And then it, I mean, very succinctly, they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So not good news for Jonah. You can imagine that he's trying to like step to the back and they're like, what's going on? And verse eight cracks me up. I mean, verse eight just absolutely cracks me up. Picture the scene. Hurls of wind going everywhere. It's insane. And they find out that it's, they have enough time to cast lots, which is kind of strange. And then it says this. They said to him, notice the questions like, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And what people are you? Just question, 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 which is just clear to me. Just absolutely clear to me that these sailors had to have been women. Because only women would have taken the time to ask all these questions whenever, like, everything's happening going on. And I'm not necessarily saying that like in favor of men, because men would have just had the the brilliant statement like, 
dude. That's all they would have said to Jonah. So like, it's not like it's any better that men would, but all these things are going on and they're just like, question, 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 question. I mean, that just seems crazy to me that they have time for this. It must, it must, I don't know. So anyway, verse, verse nine. And he said to them, um, he said, I'm a Hebrew. Now notice the questions they ask. several questions. Um, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What are the people of you? And he said, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I mean, just amazing. And there was already a historical knowledge of people. Oh, he's a Hebrew. He's an Israelite. And everybody in this time knew we absolutely must fear this God of Israel. He's the real deal. And he takes out people. And he says, I am a follower of the God of, of, of Israel. And then they're freaking out. They're freaking out. But let's notice one little thing, okay? He said his nationality, which is worth mentioning later on, and we'll see, a Hebrew. But one question was left unanswered. What is your occupation? He didn't tell him his occupation of prophet. Of which currently he was unable to say that he was a prophet. Because he was in direct disobedience. Let's just apply that right now. Your occupation, Christian, is evangelist. No matter where you are, if you just got saved last night, or if you have been saved for 20 years, 30 years, your occupation is evangelist. Are you able to say, when somebody says, what's your occupation? Are you like Jonah, where you can't say it because you just don't do it? Or are you willing to say, a Christian, I'm an evangelist. Vodibachum says, if you can't say amen, you got to say ouch. Sometimes that happens. So here it is. What's your occupation? He leaves that out. And then verse 10 says, And then the men were exceedingly afraid because they knew who the God of Israel was. And they said to him, What is this you have done? That's an exclamation point and that's not a question mark. What is this you have done? Um, They knew that you, even as pagans, you don't flee from Yahweh. You don't flee from his will. What are you doing, Jonah? You're not supposed to run from Yahweh, the God of Israel. What have you done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And verse 11 says, um, and they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet us down? Isn't that amazing? They don't say, okay. They actually show him graciousness and kindness and ask him, what are we going to do? And it says, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Martin Luther kind of talking about this, this whole scenario of the, becoming more tempestuous on the sea and God pursuing Jonah. He says this, the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Not only the ship, but the whole world becomes too small for Jonah. He finds no nook or corner in all creation, not even hell where he might crawl in. But he must needs expose himself to the gaze of all creatures and stand before them in all his ignominy. You cannot run from God. It's going to become more and more tempestuous. And eventually you will have to stand in all your ignominy and say, Yes, Lord, I acknowledge that you are after me. It's time for me to acknowledge that and and do business. All right, so here we go. They ask him instead of just acting and throwing him over, which is so kind. And he said to them, this is what he says. He just resigns himself over. Um, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. Um, And this seems, you know, rather noble. It seems rather noble. 
instead of all of us dying, just throw me in. But I, I think, I think this is also just Jonah giving up. I would rather, I don't think it's very noble. You know what? Just kill me. So I don't have to go preach to the Ninevites. Just kill me. I would rather them die and go to hell and me die right now too. I don't think it's very noble. Um, although he is saving the lives, um, in essence, saving the lives of, of these sailors. I think that he's just given up on being used by God because he does not like his mission. Have you? Have you given up? God is gracious, just like these sailors and just like God is being gracious to Jonah. He has not given up on you and you are, he is not done with you. You are not out of the realm of possibility of being used by God, no matter where you are in your station of life. Don't ever give up like Jonah and to say, just kill me now. Then verse 13, nevertheless, they, he says, kill me. And look what happens. Even more kindness, they show him. Nevertheless, the men rode even harder to try to get back to dry land. This is just, um, bless their hearts. They were trying. You know, in the South, we say bless their hearts. And that just means they're not too bright. You know what I mean? Bless their hearts. It's just not going to happen. Um, this is like, I, I went, <laughs> this is kind of an example. I went, I went roller skating this past Labor Day with my child. Um, I've got, for the very first time, uh, they had never been roller skating before, and I took um, Aiden and Jason Karras, three, five, and seven. And the five-year-old, I don't know if you know Karras, but she's just all legs. I mean, just like legs start like right here. She's just all legs. And bless her heart, her roller skating is just not going to happen. It was like it was like a drunk giraffe trying to get around on there. It's just you ever seen a giraffe try to drink water? I mean, it's, it was just ridiculous looking. And this is the exact same same kind of thing. It just was not going to happen. It was just an impossibility. And here it is. Bless the hearts. They're rowing as hard as they can, but it is just not going to happen. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. I mean. It is not going to happen if the Lord does not want you to get to dry land. You are not going to get to dry land. And then it says this. um, Became more and more tempestuous against them. And and let's just not miss this this biting irony here in verse 13. There's there's some really biting irony. Um, These men are trying their hardest to save a man that was willing to put their lives in danger by getting on this boat. They are trying their hardest to save a man that was willing to let them die. And Jonah is not willing to do the same for the Ninevites, even when God spoke a word to him and told him to go preach repentance to him. Biting irony that he's seen just kindness and graciousness and patience from pagan sailors. And he's not willing to go do that for the Ninevites. Therefore, therefore, the, <clears throat> the sailors called out to the Lord. <laughs> the, here's, here's something that Jonah wasn't planning on happening. We're going to see in, in 14 through 16, the sailors become believers. Um, it says this, therefore, they called out to the Lord. O Lord, using the name Yahweh. Let us not perish for this man's life and lay on not us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it please. In other words, it seems like we have to throw this man overboard, God. But we know that killing is wrong. So please don't lay on us the the blame for this man's blood. It seems like this is what you want, God. We're going to throw him overboard because I think this is what you want. Um, And then it says, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from raging. That sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Which we're going to get to very soon. 
we're going to get to. And then this. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Literally, um, it says that they feared the Lord with great fear. And they offered sacrifices to Yahweh and made vows. Let's just notice the transition from 5 to 14 through 16. 5, each cried out to his own little, little G, God. That's what happened. And then in just a short little time, they are calling out for, for their uh, sin not to be laid upon them, but throwing someone out to die for their sin. Does that sound familiar? Jesus is the truer and better Jonah. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered sacrifices to the Lord. And we can see in this moment here that these people have come from calling out to pagan gods and the set of circumstances where there's a man in complete disobedience are calling on the Lord Yahweh. Just highlighting, just highlighting the missionary God that's always at work, even in rebellion and disobedience of his people. He's still very evangelistic in his sovereignty. This was not to like this is not the way we we should look at our mission experience and say, oh, you know what? Well, if I rebel against God's word and go the other way, he'll still save some people on that side. So just like Jonah, I'll just run over here in disobedience and let the sailors get saved and the Ninevites can just go to hell because at least some people got saved. That's not the way we're supposed to do evangelism. That's not the way we're supposed to obey. And all I'm saying is it's pretty amazing how gracious God is that even if he rebels, he still has a plan to save some people and be kind and gracious to the sailors, even when Jonah decides to run in direct disobedience. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing, the third thing, and here it is. As with Jonah, there will be discipline for our disobedience. You have been given a mission by God, and if you directly disobey, there will be discipline for your disobedience. And the discipline of God is not a good thing. The discipline of God is never a good thing. It is painful. We're going to talk about chapter 2 next week about repentance. I'm not going to get into that today. But 17, this is just, John Calvin cracks me up at this. He says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Calvin mentions this as if if this this was just some kind of ordinary thing. And the Lord appointed a great fish and he just swallowed him up. And then he's went, and there it was, you know, end of chapter 1, scene 1, cut. No big deal. Like, this is kind of strange. And the Lord appointed, again, highlighting the sovereignty of God. Everything's happening under the hand of God. Appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, which we've already seen in Matthew 12, pointing us to the sign of Jonah, which is the sign of where Christ will be in the grave for us three days and three nights. And so here it is. You can keep running from God, But God is going to keep saving people around you and make your life miserable until you obey. That's the story of Jonah. And that's here. God will discipline you in your disobedience until you submit yourselves. And we're going to see this is this is not very good discipline that he undergoes in chapter two. But the Lord appointed a great fish. And most people have heard this to be the judgment of God, that the Lord is disciplining him in one way. But this is also deliverance. This is also deliverance. He is disciplining Jonah. I mean, I can't imagine spending three days and three nights in a nasty fish. It's nice. However, this is also still as he's disciplining, he's still being kind to Jonah because he would have died. The great fish was also a deliverer by keeping him from death. So this is grace. And we'll see next week as Jonah 
cries out. But today, as he's hurled into the sea, one thing I want us all to acknowledge is this. I am Jonah. Every one of us needs to be able to acknowledge that today, including myself. We've been given a mission. Are we going to willingly obey or disobey this mission? Because he has called you to make disciples. We'll talk about next week if you are disobeying, disobeying and what, what submission to his will and repentance might look like. But our disobedience will be disciplined. And we must thank Jesus if we are in direct disobedience. We must thank Jesus that he has borne the ultimate consequence, which is the wrath of God for us on our behalf. Jesus, as I've kind of talked about, is the truer and better Jonah. Even though all of us must willingly admit that we are Jonah, there is a truer and better Jonah that we can't ever be, but we can be forgiven by. I am Jonah, but I am not Jesus, but I can be forgiven by Jesus. Jonah points us to one who has not yet come. Jonah was from Galilee. Jesus was from Galilee. Was Jonah the storm caused him to be thrown into the sea? Jesus calms the storm. Jesus was not the one who would rebel from God's will, but would willingly obey God's will all the way to the cross. Jesus was not the one that would run away from danger, but go towards danger, towards the cross for us. Jesus was not the one who would need grace, but would be the one who would extend grace freely. Jesus was not the one who would cry out for his own sin, but cry out for the sins of others. Jesus was not the one who would run from evangelism of the nations, but instead incarnate himself and come to the nations and see them get saved. Jesus was not the one who offers repentance just to a city, but Jesus is the one who offers repentance to an entire world. Jesus is the truer and better Jonah. And it, everything is about Christ and his gospel. And just like Jesus... He's offering repentance to you today, wherever you are. He has done this in the gospel by putting himself forward on a cross 2,000 years ago for you and for me. Not just for our sin of obeying mission, but all of our sin. Every sin you've done and every sin you ever will do has been paid for by Jesus on the cross. So we're going to go into a time of worship and kind of reflect on this missionary God who has pursued us and is asking us to go and pursue unbelievers. And wherever you are, I just ask that you would be led by the Spirit, submit yourself to the Spirit's leading, and that you would maybe sit and pray for a little bit, stand and sing however He's leading you. And resolve in your mind that even though you are Jonah, you want to obey the will of God and be a missionary. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that Old Testament stories are not just little narratives that we can read to our kids. But God, they are also amazing stories of the gospel to us. You've called us to mission, and so I pray that all of us would submit willingly to that mission. We love you, God. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.